0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is, you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is, tell everyone about Book Club.
1: We are back for another episode of Book Club. This has got to be episode number God knows what, and today... We have a guest on the show to join us in reading keenan gap selling part two it's benjamin denner how's it going benjamin it's very good thank you for having me on the show thank you for coming so i think the first thing we do as we like to with our studio guests or non-studio guests because benjamin is joining us via video is tell us a bit about you and what you're up to all right so um if people
0: know me i'm the uk's most uh, hated sales trainer People ask me why I'm called that. I say, simple, I made it up. I mean, and no other idiot's going to try and uh, claim they're more hated. So, uh, yeah, there's no international standard or barometer by which you measure how much you hate a sales trainer. So, um, yeah, I figure as long as I keep saying it, it's mine. So, what am I up to working with companies, beating up shitty, crappy salespeople, pointing out that it's all their mother's fault they can't sell, (laughs) and hopefully rebuilding them up and turning them into A players it's a brutal process. Um, I feel like a psychiatrist because whenever somebody says, you know, how are they getting on it's they're always getting better. They're never quite
1: cured. Right. None of us are ever yeah. quite cured, are we?
0: No, no. And particularly salespeople. We're very needy, very desperate, very emotional. Yeah, cool. And are you winning the, getting lots of work on at the moment? I am, yeah. Um, obviously, uh, that video I put up earlier in the year of me making a live cold call, uh, reverberated about 120,000 views. Wow. Uh, and as a result of that, a lot of, a lot of 90% of what comes to you is rubbish. Um, so you've got to filter pretty quickly, but there have been some pretty good sized gold nuggets in amongst the month. Good drop. for you.
1: Good for you. you. Right. You. So we are on part two of Gut Selling by Keenan. We are. Who is coming on the show. He is. In a couple of weeks time. Um Very much looking forward to it. How have you gotten with part two, pricey? Uh,
2: oh. Ooh. I didn't really like. I, I, no, that's unfair. I, I, I would say, for my personal taste, part two is a sixty-five percent, because, well, without giving the game away, you've obviously read this yourself. But without giving the game away, <clears throat> he starts panning. He starts panning Bant. He does, and I can see his rationale behind panning Bant. But every single example he gives of a sale is a perfect Bant case study of a sale. All right. And I just sort of think to myself, "Come on! oh, come on, you're just doing that to sell me a book. Okay.
1: okay. And that's
2: right. what the, they are. I've just summarised chapter two. So next week in book club. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's so let's...
1: a very good assessment, actually. I, All right. I can't argue with that. All right, so let's start the start. So one of the things I like about this book is he goes really short chapter, really big chapter.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like a lot of it. You know, Lure, not, I, don't, I don't want to say I don't it lures like it. It
1: me, lures me into a false sense of reading security. Okay, so chapter seven, get them to let you help. Yeah. So what what, what do you reckon to this one, fellas?
2: I'll let our guests speak.
1: Uh, i got to be honest, I don't
0: think there's anything in the book that hasn't been said or done before, frankly. As I read it, I thought, well, you know, most of the stuff I teach and everything I teach, I've stolen. So uh, <laughs> I've, never, I've never had an original thought about selling in my life. So um, and, and a lot of it, it is perfectly common sense. Um, get them to let you help. I mean, that's, that's, that's just obvious, isn't it? Isn't that what we're in sales for? Get them to let them help. It's to identify what the pain is and whether or not they're motivated to fix it. So they have yeah. to want to let us help them. Um, so, yeah, there's nothing particularly new in the book, to be blunt.
1: No, We're but I, but I don't think any of us really own any real IP as sales. No. Do you know what I mean? There's I not really I mean, we, a lot of true intellectual property in the sales we've, development. We've read world.
2: somewhere that's true IP. Well, I I I think that the wolves was true IP. I think that uh, whatever that one we read last with the really famous person was
1: Timmy, Timmy O'Sullivan. Timmy O'Sullivan, his was pure IP, I thought.
2: But anyway, the the only bit I do like about in chapter eight is he said. Bidding on RFPs is not selling. I wrote that as well. It's participating in a beauty contest. Loved that. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. Me too. Completely agree. Yeah, I, lo- I
1: loved that. And uh, I thought really, really clear. Um, from the beginning, selling starts with establishing trust in your credibility. Um, and he, and he, com- he comes back at the bottom of the page here. Remember, they have to believe that you are there for them, not for you. Remember, no one gives a shit about you. Concentrate on bringing them value. Even if they don't like you, they'll buy from you.
2: So I then moved on to Chapter 8, because Chapter 7's not very long. And here's what I wrote. So Chapter 8, it says, Discovery, know your clients better than they know themselves. I've put, very bold, JG won't like this.
1: Why do you think I won't like that?
2: Because you are then going to go off for about five minutes into the fact that the salespeople aren't well enough trained to get inside of their heads, the client, the heads of their clients well enough to be able to action this chapter. This chapter is dependent upon you upon Vu being well it's super dependent
1: on some key things one <laughs> being an excellent rapport builder
2: and how many how, you know come on Mike you know this how many of the sales He's people Benjamin that, Benjamin how they many of the sales it, people yeah, that you deal like. with
0: yeah, I'm, uh, most are many, uh, well most sales people can't build rapport they think they're building rapport by doing cheesy conversation but about most, fishing yeah they, they don't know what they're doing half the time they, they're, they're sucking up and they're quite servile and adaptive uh, but they're not bonding or building rapport. In fact, they're probably repelling most people. Yeah. How
2: are you? How are you? Is the opening statement that I like least in a sales call?
0: How? Say that again. How are you? Good morning. Oh, how, how are you sh- today? Sh- I hate well, that. It, I, I always answer. I, whenever I get it's asked, i'm so it, I say, insincere. Uh,
1: my mum died last night. <laughs> my uh, mum died last but, night. But
2: you know, beyond that though, Jonathan, this chapter is a good one in terms of getting stuck into. You know, I actually
1: thought it was a very useful chapter. But yes, you're right.
0: I, I did like it. But I mean, the close happens at the beginning. I like that. I thought that is that that is true. A good salesman manages to take control from the beginning, and the close starts there. So I think that's great advice. Doing it, on the other hand, that, that's much more difficult.
2: But that's this, good. And this is the chapter in which he completely pans bant. It okay, is okay.
1: So let's go. Let's start with a couple of different points. Point one is know your clients better than they know themselves. I, I agree, and I also agree yes. that. It is hard for some salespeople to know clients that well because, and I think Mike and I were talking about this last week. Benjamin was yeah. some point you've got to get inside a customer's head, and that yeah. therefore becomes a very skills-based issue. Yeah, and therefore a lot of companies aren't training that anymore because it's not as scalable, and so the art of getting inside a customer's head isn't as widely promoted as it used to be. No. Um, companies don't want it. You know, if I look at a couple of the vendors, we're buying software off at the moment for the business. Those those organizations, they don't want salesmen that get inside my head. They want process, repeatable, demo, trial, let me sign up, month on month, customer success, come back to me and make sure I'm using the software happily. And before I know it, I've been with them two years. Yeah,
0: intellectual churn, I call it. They keep it intellectual, non-emotional and... They're scared to ask questions to get under the skin because that means you yourself have to uh, go vulnerable a bit, and, and salespeople aren't like that. They're tough guys. They're not.
1: Yeah, and also as, to get truly inside a customer's head, sometimes you got to ask things the customer isn't gonna, the customer isn't going to like. You know, I, I was taught. Yeah. I remember once when I and when you're probably Sorry, I missed what you said then, Benjamin. I said, And considering a salesperson's primary function
0: in their head is to be liked. It's very tough to ask those questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember doing spin selling training and the trainer at the time saying, at some point you've got to ask something that's going to make the customer feel pain and feel uncomfortable. And you've got to be comfortable with the customer being uncomfortable.
2: I agree. And what do you think of him panning Bant in the way that he does?
1: (sighs) I just wrote a big in capital letters. Really? Bant is bunk, he says here. Now I think there's a bit of context yeah. to be had here because well, what he says he's not a lot saying
2: of is things to get you to get you going, and that's what he's not saying,
1: it. and he's put here on page seventy-three. I'm not saying you shouldn't qualify your prospect. Yeah. And so let's be not be unfair to the fella. It, that's no. that's unfair. Um, but you should not have to slag off your competition. It never helps. No, and and so what he's saying is, and and what I am concerned about is, and I've written elsewhere in the chapter. At some point, you go ask somebody, yeah, it's great, I've got a need, yeah, it's great, you're going to work with me to to, to, to solve the problem. Great, you got any money to solve the problem?
2: But Keenan's not keen on you asking money, and nor was Tim Sullivan either, actually.
1: Mike, There's two questions that I wanted to ask as an addendum to some of these questions here, which was, uh, one, have you got any money with which to solve the problem? And two, if I can demonstrate to you I can solve the problem, can you put me in front of somebody else who's going to be also part of making sure that we buy it?
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's
1: none of that, and that—that that was my concern. Was I'd be nervous that, and I'm sure as we always find with every author, Benjamin, that comes on the show, yeah. they come on and they give a context that we didn't quite pick up on in the book. And I'm sure when we when, when we get Keenan on the show, and I can't wait for it. Really, he's going to give me a bit of context here that says, "Well, yeah, I get that," and actually, this <laughs> yeah. is what I meant.
0: I don't think there's a hard and fast rule when it comes to getting budget up front. It depends. I mean, I tell people up front, uh, there are three reasons you're probably not going to work with me. And I say, one is I'm bloody expensive. And if we're going to do this, you're going to be looking at investing X amount. Now, let's pretend we can work together. Is that going to be a reason we can't move forward? I want to find out early. I don't want to waste two hours or somebody says, I love it. I can't wait to get it, but I'll never pay for it. Yeah.
1: That's wrong. With
2: that? That's a nice qualificatory pre-closer.
0: Oh, of course. I'm very good.
2: <laughs> I like it that.
1: Cool. Okay.
2: But then as we move through this chapter it gets better
1: and better and oh, better and better. Man,
2: better. page 77, page 76 and that for those yeah. of people who are listening to it basically he's got this table and everybody knows I love a good table of of and he talks about the close rates and 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 the impact to an organization and and yeah. about um Sort of magnifying the pain and i just think there's some excellent stuff in this chapter we
1: ask so he makes a really good point here page 74 where he's, he's got, got using a bit of statistical stuff um yeah. where he talks about the number of questions you ask early in the sales cycle increases your chance of making the deal
0: yeah well let's have that. credibility comes from the questions you ask not the answers you give
2: agreed i Completely do agree with that agreed. yes yes you're 100% yeah. right about that benjamin
0: yeah, yeah. without the, the smartest person in a at a, a conference seminar is not the one on
1: the stage, but it's the one that
0: asks that question. you go,
1: Ooh, that was,
0: that was good.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I really like it is, simple process here of this table thing.
0: Yeah. that's what I was referring
1: Impact to, to organization great, and what I know about the problem. I think, yeah. Every salesperson should know
0: this going in, what it is that they fix, what the impact is likely to be on an organization that has it. And, uh, the questions I need to ask to get them to say, yes, I have that. I mean, yeah. it's, it's so logical. It's, 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 a salesman could do it. Yeah.
1: Set <laughs> that simple, For uh, even a salesman <sighs> could manage it. Absolutely. And it, it, it's, I really like it. Uh, I think it's the first real book that we've read where is somebody's got into actually questioning, asking good questions. I
0: agree.
2: Yes, I if would you look, agree with that. Uh, we haven't uh, been
1: through one yet where somebody's gone into the practicality of questioning. I'd still like to see somebody write one that's a bit deeper.
2: Yes, I agree with that as well
1: yeah absolutely so um you know so he's here you go banish open-ended answers oh, I was
2: just on that page i think he makes a very good point in this i thought yeah. a good point very well made
1: go on, expand on just expand on what what he's saying here and what he means
2: so 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 he he's saying here is and he actually refers to sales training as it happens benjamin oh right yeah 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 he, he says open-ended answers are, un- uh, uh, are unacceptable now i'm going to Paraphrase, so I don't have to read the whole, the whole thing, basically. <laughs> but he goes to his prospect, listen, prospect, what happens if you don't do this? The prospect goes, oh, we we'll lose some money. What Keenan would say is, some is not a good enough answer. No. Keenan would want no. to know how much money you want to lose. That's your
1: phone, Jonathan. Schoolboy error has left his phone on. It's some ridiculous. Rid- some ridiculous <laughs> with ACDC thunderstruck <laughs> as their as, as the ring. Ke- said. But
2: Keenan's point is he said, you know, an open ended answer with the word some or something, that is a bad answer. He wants it a is, definite answer. And he's it, right about it, that.
0: Wussy washy and vague. What I don't see here is here uh, is asking presumptive questions. Most powerful thing you do is ask a question when you presume they've done it, and then they have to say they haven't. Go yeah. on. What go you on could you
1: expand on that, please? They both said it. Well, okay, so
0: I'll give you an example. So you so you know they're um, already with a software company. And you said, so when you went to your software company and you asked them if they were able to do the flippers, floppers, and the flappers, what did they say? They go, ah, uh, we've not actually asked them. Sorry, my fault. When they came to you and told you they could do this for you, why did you reject it? Uh, they've, they've never come to us and said that, oh, I assume because none of this is important then. Ah, right.
2: So you've asked the question to lead them down a path then?
0: Yes.
1: Nothing wrong As with a leading.
0: You have a theory of the case. You know where you want to go. you just got to get the prospect to slowly mm. galliance and dance with you to there.
1: Yeah, you tickle him along there, don't you? Mm, exactly, yes. It's a nurturing process. Yeah, now, we, I, you know, we've read a lot of books where people would say that's manipulative, but I'm a fan of that. It is manipulative, but who cares?
0: Yeah, we're if you're manipulating to stuff.
1: get to the truth, does it matter? No. No. But Psychiatrist would be out of a job. Correct. I concur. And I have no issue with, at some point, asking a leading question that takes a client damn well where you know what the answer's going to be. Yeah, it's yeah, manipulative. It is.
0: But it's just its, just, it's just manipulative for a prospect to say "Do you I need to think it over and then buggers off forever. Yeah, or, it is. Or it say no?
1: Yeah. Right, point. fair point. Yeah,
0: so they're manipulating. I can't play it straight in an unstraight world now, can I? Come on. <laughs>
2: it's right. A, it's a fair point, that, actually.
1: Cool. And then what about he asks these validating questions? I quite like that.
2: Well, uh, where, what page are you on here? Page
1: 88.
0: 80. Oh, we've flicked right forward. Have I,
1: have I done a big jump forward? Where were you that's, guys? That's What's fine.
0: 88, are you sure? Oh, no. Validate, yes, we've got it, yeah.
1: Yeah, technical problems, business problems. What we've got here in reality... Is we're rehashing spin selling a little bit here, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. With which there's nothing wrong. No. Actually, and we're, we're, we're he's just taking us down a spin route in a very nice way. I really like the does the prospect have a problem you can fix? Does this pro- prospect agree they have a problem? Does this prospect want to fix the problem? Will the prospect go on a journey with you to fix the problem? And then to be fair, it, it missed off point
2: five though. Point five. Has oh, prospect got?
1: Has Does the prospect got, have a budget? Has Prospect got any money, and has the Prospect got any power with which to get you into the other people in the business who yes. might actually be able to sign the deal off?
2: Yes, yeah. I added that at the
1: bottom. Five, of numbers that. five and six, but to be yeah. fair, number one, one, two, and three and four, I'm bang up for actually.
0: Uh, I think page eighty nine is also good, where he speaks about tone. I think one of the reasons why salespeople fail is they they ask questions a lot like a hey, barrister cross-examining someone in a courtroom, and they piss people off. Yes, uh, they do. And what I try to, uh, what's the difference between a good actor and a great actor? Delivery. Uh, and most salespeople couldn't deliver a sales interview if they had to. They're terrible. So I think he hits them on the head. It's all about tone. You see, I think you have been a bit unfair there, Benjamin.
2: You have the fortunate side of having an interesting accent.
0: Yeah, you know, the English accents are the most diverse in the world, aren't they? People love the Brits. Particularly in America, you're always the villain
2: correct but my point my Always point the is bomb my, my, my point is so i have one tone you can hear it right now it hasn't changed yeah. in 20 years it won't change in another 20. yeah so if i try and put on some stupid sales accent that's going to be insincere and incongruent with who i am ah, i don't del- i don't think tone
0: is as important as you're making out or him i i would disagree i think he's on the money there because if you make someone uncomfortable they're going to shut up pretty quickly. And if your tone makes them feel uncomfortable, you're going to lose.
2: Do you think your your tone makes them feel uncomfortable or the way in which or the language that you use? I think it's the language that you use.
1: Guys, I don't think it's either. What do you think it it is? I I actually think it's about personal belief in the question you're asking and certainty and congruence. Well,
2: that's my point. I like congruence. I
1: think if you put it on the sales... So often we get a lot... You and I both (laughs) meet people where... They're not naturally congruent as salespeople, yet they're asking a question that a trainer's told them is a useful style or type of question, but they themselves internally aren't 100% comfortable with the question. The tone, therefore, of that question comes out badly because they don't believe in asking the question necessarily and therefore it comes out wet or badly and the client senses the incongruence and then bites them like a dog.
2: Mm. Okay, I don't disagree with that.
1: Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. What do you make of the CRM challenge at the end of the uh, chapter?
1: Oh, well, I think that's useful, but it's not useful for me because you know that I'm an absolute obsessive memomaniac. You, what? You don't fill the CRM system in, though? Give over. I'm outrageous amounts of notes.
0: Mine is bugger all, actually. Uh, really?
1: I find CRM as an excuse
0: to procrastinate. I mean, they fill it up Ooh. with weak voicemail, lift message, not interested. I mean, it's a parlor crap then they spend 10 minutes in between calls as they have to reread their notes before they make another dial i i think a spreadsheet is all you need with a name and a number and a company
2: wow Ooh. that's a very bold statement
0: i don't th- think salesforce will be phoning you no no they won't be yeah uh, it's true they, i i work with salespeople all the time you go okay guys let's do some prospecting you can count you start looking at your clock it's about five minutes before the first phone's picked up
1: because they're messing about with the CRM Messing
0: stuff. about on the CRM. I can't call him. I only called him through. Oh no, he said. Oh, and it is Just pick up the phone. <laughs> but just summarising <laughs>
2: chapter eight. That is a big chapter, well worth reading. I don't like how yeah. he pans Bant because I think he's wrong about that. But I do think the other parts of that chapter are good and well worth reading.
0: And, 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 and I was going to say the only good reason to pan Bant is just one thing. Everybody knows it it's to provoke a response yeah and, and people know you're doing it they i mean prospects read the same books as we do so you know they're not stupid but i think uh, it's
1: it's it's not unfair and you know you say prospects know you're doing it but yeah. and remember you mike and i live in a world where we sell to sales so yeah it, we, we get away with a lot of stuff that you wouldn't get away with in other markets because like i went to an appointment in london a couple of weeks ago and I've and I've got ten minutes into the meeting, and I've said, "Listen, I'm just nervous here. Have you got money for this project or not?" And he went, "Well, I'm glad you asked. Yes, I have." I went, "Could you just expand where it's coming from, please?" And I can be that honest with him. I think in a lot of other commercial environments, it's not as easy.
0: It is. You just got to have the courage to ask a question, because all they can say is get out. Yeah,
1: yeah. At, at which point, at, at which point, you've got an hour life of your back, uh, an hour back of your life that you didn't have.
0: Exactly. I mean, I always challenge people on money.
1: Yeah. What's the the point in getting involved
0: in a project? but you also sell to salespeople, though, Benjamin. No, I sell to managing directors who have city salespeople.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So chapter nine is introducing the gap. You know, it's a two and a half page chapter, but it's not a bad one. So just
1: expand on what that one's about. Who wants to give us a quick view on, on what's going on in that one?
0: I suppose it's the gap between where they are, where they need to be, and is that gap basically big enough to invest any time or money or their resources to fix? I think that's it in the nutshell. That's it, in the nutshell, About as long as, and it was about as long as the chapter.
1: To be fair, he keeps it pretty. He keeps it pretty sharp. And then chapter ten: Know your customers. Why?
2: Do you know? Ah. Oh, go on. You're going to say something interesting about this, Benjamin. I, I always write my notes underneath the chapter's title. On you know, immediately once I've read the chapter, and I put on this. Okay, chapter, didn't take many notes. (laughs) But you're going to tell me the opposite, aren't you, I think?
0: No. um, You have to know what's motivating your prospect to do whatever it is. And it's often not a business reason. Um, So I thought, understanding the why, that's the key thing I say to people. We're not going to do business today unless I know why you need to do this. Why now? Why not last year? Why not in six months? What is it about today that makes you willing and able to spend and invest money to fix this. And until I know that, I ain't going any further. It's really important because they'll wriggle out otherwise if you don't get that.
1: Yeah, the, the real pain. You know, yeah. in Miller-Hyman, they call it the win and the result, don't they? They do. It's the win and the result. He's calling it the why. And I loved his example here. I thought it was a really nice analogy of the guy off to meet the president and he's got a flat tyre.
2: I didn't like it. Do you know why? Why? Because because what is, it, what is that example? It's a perfect bant example.
1: <laughs> it's yeah, absolutely uh, yeah, okay to the core. Yeah,
2: he's got budget. He's got the need. The timing's great because he's on the way to meet the president, and there's yeah. one decision maker.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. And the whole
2: premise of his gap selling is See,
1: it's pre banted, isn't it? The fella's wealthy, he's successful, he's got a grant to spend on on a, on a lift into town. Yeah.
2: He sounds like the perfect prospect. No, but, I thought, yeah, he does.
1: but the what is the It would have be live... better
0: if he got him to phone his friend to borrow his credit card. <laughs> yeah, uh, then then it would have been a bit more of a challenge. But yeah, when you have got someone in pain who needs a solution now, I mean, it's not bloody hard got, to solve. He's it. got the money.
1: Yeah, but what his point is? He's saying, in an almost Nietzschean manner, if you give a man a big enough why, he'll find anyhow. And if you give a man a big enough why he'll find a pretty much any amount of money.
2: Yes, I get his point. I mean, he makes his point with the headache tablet, doesn't he? Yeah. That you pay $5 for a headache tablet or a quarter of a million pounds yeah. of its brain cancer. Yeah. It's sort of Absolutely. what he says in the and book.
1: So what he's trying to illustrate to his readers are and to his students and his and his course delegates is if you find a big enough Y, it's amazing what you can do with budget. And
2: that's what he's going to say about the gap, isn't it? He's going to say, keep digging until the gap's big enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. If, and if, uh, Basically. And, and and the difference between that basic, oh well, we need to fix the CRM system versus well, why why? And why, I do like why, that man. idea.
2: I do think that's a good idea. He's just saying, <clears throat> excuse me, keep asking questions, questions, questions until you've elicited enough pain and then they'll buy stuff from you.
0: Yeah. Well which is a good uh, if you follow the Sandler methodology, which I spent years doing. I like, don't like Sandler. The same thing.
2: Personal no, it isn't.
0: Reasonable draw. It is. It's the same thing. Sandler, the thing it's with the submarine. One. Yeah, the pain compartment.
2: The pain compartment's exactly not like thing. this at all. The pain compartment is nowhere near as advanced as gap selling.
0: No, they're they're almost identical.
2: Well, I've only read it once actually, so I might, uh, I, might I might, I might, I might buy down to your superior knowledge of it. But we no, can have I, an I argument would... about Sandler at another time.
0: We can.
1: But I, no, I made a note about finding the why. Go on. I find a lot, I think, and in my own experience, after many years now in the game, I noticed a while ago that it's easy to get tired and stop really listening and caring about the why because you've heard so many why stories.
2: I think that's very fair, yes.
1: And you get so used to knowing, you know, for example, you interview a candidate and you've heard every single conceivable why story, and you're a bit like, oh, here we go again. Or you're in, if you're selling software, and I don't know, let's say you've sold ERP software for 20 years, you've heard every single reason why somebody's going to do that project before you've ever asked it. And I think one of the biggest challenges is not actually coaching people to ask why, it's getting people to not think that they know what the why is before they walk in and to be truly curious as to what You're the You're talking why is. a bit about
2: burnout, though, there, aren't you?
1: It's a bit about burnout, but there's more to it than that. Because I think even in a couple of years in, you, you can very quickly become inured to those whys. And well, uh, and actually, what often people talk about is that situation... What, what, what Timothy O'Sullivan talked about was situational fluency, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the more situationally fluent you become, the more assumptive you can become about the why and the more then you can become weak at actually getting to the real nub of pain because you kind of know all your shit. Go on, Benjamin. Well,
0: well, I was going to say, I mean, everyone in advertising and marketing has known this for uh, about a century. People buy emotionally and justify intellectually. Yeah, yeah. And marketing is so primate is to emotionally hook you to their product with a stupid ad designed to target you, and then hopefully you'll recall that when you're out shopping and, oh, there's the pampers, I remember that feeling, and da 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 buy their stuff. We're in the same business as salespeople. I've just got to find their compelling emotional. Why do you really need to do this? Why am I here? Convince me that this is something you want to invest time and money. I mean, it's, it's, it's logic. And then
1: give them an intellectual justification to satisfy that need. Yeah absolutely absolutely
2: mm, i agree with that completely I agree so with i that. think
1: he's definitely in the right place isn't he it's yeah. about just like getting it. people to junk up and junk up and junk up to that highest emotional level what i've yet to see anybody really write about is explaining linguistically how do you get that so i often do it with people okay great so you're looking for a job that's going to uh, make you lots of money yeah great what's having lots of money going to do for you
2: that's a separate thing though that that isn't but that's taking people <clears throat> right to the true That's wide. not selling, though. Is it not? I think that's counselling.
0: We are counsellors as salespeople, though. Well,
2: this is well, this is a separate subject, actually, Benjamin, but I think that some of the books, you know, this is a good example of it. This book is designed at the very most elite of the sales force.
1: You think this yeah. book Because
2: is. you'd have to have a superb armoury of knowledge to put this into practice.
1: What makes you say that? Go on, because I think
2: if you want to dig truly to somebody's, uh, you know, deepest needs, you've got to at some point have been trained very, very well. And there has to be some
1: accomplishment. Yeah, and I think
2: then if you want to modulate your voice, that's another separate string to your bow. Then if you want to build rapport with somebody, well, rapport is different to asking questions, actually. So rapport is another massive string to your bow, and actually. You know, I I think that these some of these books, are, you know, you really need to have an absolutely perfect sales animal that has got the experience, ability, intellect, whatever, to do all of that. There's stuff. a lot
1: of one irons in this kit bag, and in, in there's this a gol- lot of good shots in there's it. There's a lot of one irons in the no, golf no, no, bag. No, what and have, we all know how you've got to swing a club to. Now, hit what somebody
2: might do one day, and I don't think they will, because I don't think it's uh, fashionable enough. Is one day somebody might produce a book that's called reinventing the IBM feature advantage benefit machine, and they might just make some brilliant pitching maniac that anyone can pick (laughs) up without... Do you know what I think, though, Benjamin? It's
0: called AI. I tell you what, most salespeople could be replaced with AI because it's unemotional. And if it can stay out of its own way and just ask better questions, which it will do and learn from its mistakes, I reckon 80% of salespeople can be removed. The reason they screw up is they're so emotionally attached to the outcome. And they're incapable of asking the types of questions you say for fear of not winning or fear of upsetting. So um, true. AI, AI will eliminate that, ro- um, and I think in thirty years' time,
1: only the best twenty percent of salespeople will be left. I totally That's agree, easier. and, and I, I completely agree. And I think that actually, if you think about it, a robot isn't afraid of asking a really hard question. Do you have any budget? Well, it's just another question, isn't it? Yeah, they don't know it's a naughty question. And they they get- don't care if you reject them. Yeah. Anyway, Get out of my office. Chapter 11. Right.
2: No, it's not that relevant really to me, this chapter, but I did really like it. Did you? Whereas, yeah, I did. I thought to myself, I've got a new salesperson who's first time out on the road. They're 25. <clears throat> they turn around and say, right, how am I going to do a demo? I'd say, read chapter 11 of that book.
1: Yes. This chapter did make me think, given that you and I are on a procurement cycle for some kit at the moment, it did make me think about some of the demos I've had done. Recently. Well, I bet they weren't like this, were And they? then it made me think about my own procurement yeah. based on how some of those people have presented to me. And there was one in particular where the guy turned up, started off by insisting upon giving me a big presentation about his company that I really didn't give two shits about. Um, I then had to interject, feel like I was being rude by saying, look, mate, I'm really sorry, but I'm very short of time today. Can you just start talking to me about the product? Um, and then he did like a whole big pitch about the product and then started asking me about my needs and it was only sort of at the back end of the conversation where we got to a demo and it did make me think of that particular demo as opposed to another one that was incredibly slick that had taken place over two separate calls one that was a discovery call where uh, they really got into my ribs about well why are we talking What's happening for you right now that's got you even thinking about buying this sort of solution? Well,
2: so you said it was a replica of this.
1: Yeah, and, and, and it, but it, it, this sort of hit it really made me think about, as a buyer, what that experience is like to have both a very good and a very bad demo. and well, how you, that had, you, And how that had affected me in terms of my analysis of both of those solutions, both of which were competitive, actually.
0: I was going to say, but if a salesperson does a good enough job, they shouldn't even have to give a demo.
1: Theoretically.
0: Yes. Theoretically, they shouldn't. And if they do, they should get paid to do it because it's going to be the solution to your problem. No free consulting. Yeah.
2: Well, that's a very interesting thing to say, that isn't it? Because later, later on in the book, he goes on about buying cars. <clears throat> that might be this chapter, actually. And he said, no one ever buys a car without having a test drive. I never, ever have a test drive. No. I have no interest in the slightest about test driving uh, a car.
1: I've bought a car before without test driving it. I've I never ever one test one drive. it. What's the point?
0: No. You don't buy it for the drive. You buy it for what it looks like and how it makes you feel when you think you're going to be in it. It's got I, I, I don't,
2: do. don't, don't ever buy it for that. I buy it for how economically priced it is
1: in terms of <laughs> moving a skin <laughs> flint from Yorkshire. But, but you are a price-led buyer.
2: I am, yes. Yeah. I right. want to Liberty. know the price straight up.
1: How? Straight up. Yeah, that's you. Whereas I'm an emotive buyer. I, I'm all about what everybody thinks of me because I'm vain and pathetic. Yeah, I bought one to make up for my small penis. <laughs> I was trying to say that, Benjamin. I just didn't. All just didn't.
0: All right. Well, you can edit that bit out then, unless you're yeah. live.
1: No, it's not getting edited. <laughs> no way. No way.
2: So then chapter 12. So we're coming to the end of this now then. So chapter 12. Chapter 12. And he's on about moving deals through your pipeline Quite like yeah. this chapter actually. Thought it was nicely nicely written and I liked it. Could do with a bit more information. The crux of the chapter is his graph and his diagram. Yeah. And up the up axis he has effort. Along the bottom axis he has time to close. And then it's a step that goes from bottom left where you know where to top right of the deal being closed.
1: I quite like that model.
2: Yeah, I quite like that model. It didn't show at any point you slipping back down it, but you know. <laughs> well it didn't though, did it? Sometimes deals I, slip backwards
0: as well as forwards. They do. Often, though, that can be blamed on a salesperson doing a bad job. Yes, that's In fact, it's true. thing is a bad prospect. I, I tell people that you can't fail at being a prospect. It's impossible. Can you fail? No, I, I guess you can't. No, you can act and behave exactly how you want. It's up to the salesperson's job to control the process. Most salespeople don't. They let the buyer lead. Well, that's,
1: that's interesting because because timothy o'sullivan uh, uh, and pretty much you see i'm a big fan of the word control total control i
0: have the solution you got the problem why the hell should you be in control i'm a big
1: fan but pretty much every book we've read is antithetic to that isn't it
2: No, you see i think i think you both jonathan and benjamin you've both got this wrong actually I think what I think to have control, you need to understand what the buyer's buying mechanism is going to be, and I think that in fairness to Keenan, he does cover that actually. Does he? I think he's right about that. Yeah.
0: Right. But are you still in control if once you've identified their buying process, you decide you don't want to participate because it will put you at a wrong footing? So you yes. exercise, Whip junction as I call it. Once you've identified the process, and you realise that it could turn you into a bitch, as he points out on page 129.
1: Which I like.
2: See, I don't. I just think.
1: Well, you don't like that because linguistically and the, and stylistically you don't like it. But actually, he's right. At what point are you at the... Okay, let's say he worded it differently and said at the point at which you're at the beck and call of your client. You never are. Uh... Unless
0: you're... Unless you're a supplier, or are you an equal partner? Most salespeople see themselves as suppliers, not partners.
2: Well, it depends, doesn't it? Because what's the most successful... Who's the richest man in the world? Jeff uh, Bezos. Jeff Bezos.
0: How no, he's, does, not, he's third. His wife took half. Right, okay. Yeah, good point.
2: So how much does he control the process? Not at all. How much is he at the bequest...
1: Or behest of his he clients. He totally controls the process. No, no, The entire clear. process is in... Con- Amazon controls us completely. Total, total control. Owners. You can't
0: do anything unless Amazon lets you.
1: They own us. I don't think they do. Yeah. He
2: owns us. I think that's just you with your silly conspiracy theories. Do
0: you think if Jeff Bezos got in front of a company that he wanted to put on his website and they said to you, well, you know, we're not going to pay those terms, do you think he'd be OK, fine, I'll, I'll drop my pants? I fine, I don't care, I don't
1: need you.
2: Well, I don't know, actually. Could, you can
1: buy whatever way you want, as long as it's my way. That's what Amazon says. Let's
2: get back to the yeah. book, otherwise we're going to fall out about something that actually isn't relevant to the book.
1: Yes, absolutely. It <laughs> is nonetheless good debate. So what makes a sale move forward? The word yes. Remember how we discussed that you have to earn an invitation to help the customer? Every single yes you hear from the customer is a, new deg- a renewed agreement to work with you. I like that. I'm, I'm, I
0: don't. I, I'm the opposite. I think no is... I think no is better. Why? I know there are more reasons not to work with me or buy from me than there are. So I'd rather go through all the reasons why we're never going to work together. And once I've said no to all of those, what's left is yes. It's A lot easier.
1: Let me come, I'm going to digest that.
0: Digest it. So, for instance, when I meet someone, one of the first things I'll say to an MD is, well, I'm the nuclear option. So I wouldn't use me unless you have to. So why don't we go through all the alternatives? One, why don't you just hire better salespeople? Fire the lot and get some new ones. Then they argue with you why they won't do that. Fine. Why don't you outsource your marketing or or your telesales? Outsource it. No, we don't want to do that. Hire someone with a little black book. We don't want to do that. Well, I don't know what's left. Well, we need training. Well, yeah, but they're not going to do it, are they? No, they will. Convince me they're going to commit. It's a lot easier. I
2: like yeah. your style, actually, you're
0: taking it away there. I don't think it would
2: work for everybody, but I do like that. No,
1: and and I think courage. and that comes back to that kind of style. A, it takes courage, and B, it takes accomplishment, is the word I would use. You, 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 you It takes that self-belief yes. and comfort in one's own skin. My mindset when I walk into any sales meeting is, is they should be bloody grateful I'm here, because if they have problems I can... <laughs> This
0: is the best day of their life. But that's, that's um, part of that's your brand, though, isn't it? Well, I had to get there though. I, I couldn't just stick on the hat and behave like that. I wish I could. It would be a lot easier. Yeah.
1: I like
2: his favourite words. I'm confused. You said
1: really good that
2: I'm yeah. going to use that. Well, you that you know beautiful. that I am
1: a cunning linguist and am <laughs> a big fan of. i not. I just tell people eloquent stuff. use of language. Why and does it I work love on? that?
0: Why the saying I'm confused work, though? i tell you why it works. It's very
1: gentle
2: and disarming. it exposes your vulnerability.
0: Exactly. And it
2: puts the other person in control.
0: The easiest way for someone to feel better about themselves is to find someone struggling, Correct. and then you feel good. Really like that. It's up there
1: with one of my favourites, which is I'm wondering if I could invite you to expand on that.
2: I've always liked how do you mean?
1: Yeah. What do you mean? Or just a straight, reflective question. Yeah, but thought
2: was a, I thought that was lovely, that.
1: Yeah, I thought that was nice. Um, he's got nothing in here about asking insulting questions, though, which surprised me. Asking insulting questions? Yeah.
0: Like what? I mean, if you're going to ask somebody a question, you know is going to upset them or insult them. How do you do that?
1: Go on, expand.
0: Well, say you wanted to ask the CEO, why doesn't he just quit? Because it sounds like a complete pig's there.
1: Well, you're not going to do that, are you? Who's going to ask that? Well, you could. you just
0: got to get permission, don't you? If I said to you, um, Jonathan, I need to ask you something, but I'm scared you're going to punch me in the face, how do I do that? What would you say?
1: I'd say, don't ask me anything rude that's going to piss me off.
0: Yeah. I would say, don't bother.
1: I'd say, say (laughs) if you're going to be rude, then let's not bother. But if you've got something useful to say, then say it.
0: Okay, but it's going to upset
1: you. Well, I'm not afraid of being upset. Life's all about being upset. I'm upset permanently.
0: <laughs> Upset well, we is my it.
1: default setting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, he should have tackled that when it came to asking questions. How to ask really tough questions.
1: Yeah, I think that's more as your point, isn't it? Is how do you ask yeah. the really uncomfortable questions? Ugly, awful, gnarly, sticking the knife in uh, and I, I, I don't,
2: I, I see, I think you've, you've misunderstood. But I think, that, I, I think that in his needs analysis and creating the gap, I think you would self admit that you were going to get there.
1: Yes. And I think if you're doing a good discovery in a spin-style methodology, at Before some point- Before you know point, it, someone's
2: crying across the table so for
1: anyway. Well, it, it goes back to the basics of doing a good discovery, doesn't it? So, uh, yeah. currently your salespeople aren't selling anything great. And what are the implications of that? Well, it's costing me money. Well, what are the implications of that? No,
2: it costs me money. The question is how much money. Yeah, how
1: much money? It's co- it's going to cost us half a million pounds this year. And then you and deny that a lot of money. And what's, the impact of, right. and what's the impact of half a million pounds on you? And at some point you're getting into the uncomfortable Page
2: 130. I thought this was great. Rose, return on sales effort. So this is something I speak to Jonathan about a lot. Yes. An awful lot.
1: Michael and I have talked about this a lot over a couple of projects we've done recently.
2: Which is, you know, we talk about order values a lot. So I've got a client that's an ERP company. And this client will say, you'll say, do you know what, Mike? Our average order value is, let's say it's half a million pounds. Yeah. And they say, but... If half a million pounds takes five hours' work and there's a deal out there that's, costs, that's worth 100 grand then it'll take half an hour's work, it's twice as profitable as my half a million pound deal. So I want somebody to go after the 100,000 pounds. And I think that's the case. Profitable. It's yeah. about return on your, your hourly investment. And really. how
1: many sales guys do you and I meet, Mike, where they're sat in front of us with their head in their hands having lumped on a one and a half million pound deal for the whole year, and it slipped out at the last minute, and they were zero point zero percent target come year end.
2: Yeah, and they'd have been better off just chasing them That's the. That's not on. a That's a loser.
1: correct. So but but we meet them. It's And, it. and their and their return on sales time expended is absolutely zero because they've lumped on the big shot.
2: Yeah, and I think Keenan makes a very very good point there. Actually, I must say.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree as well. I thought, I thought um, and then really we're good.
2: into the last chapter of this, which is chapter 13.
1: Now, I'm going to confess, fellas, I didn't read chapter 13, so this is going to have to be down to you two. I you didn't read the
2: last chapter last week either. You's got, can you not be asked or something? This could be asked. I, I
1: skimmed it, and there's only one bit I've highlighted on page 145. All right, well, Mike, will you give us a quick summary of chapter 13? Yeah.
2: Well, he's just, talk, he's just talking about <laughs> the thing, the things that happen towards the end of the deal that might stop you getting your clothes.
1: All right, so when a prospect goes dark... So what do we do when a prospect goes dark? What's our, What's our author telling us here?
2: He's saying, uh, I'm confused you said. Has something happened? Da-da-da. He's just saying get back in touch, basically. <laughs> what the what the he uh, yeah. um, I mean, he just summarises, you know, jump-starting a stall deal, overcoming objections. And what, what he hasn't said was that um, I'm a bit worried that you didn't have a budget to start with. But I quite like this. Wait, I'm confused. I understand your interest in supporting local business. And he's basically, he's given an example here where somebody gives you an objection and he actually has a title which is overcoming objections.
1: Fine. Good. good. Yeah, it's a good start, isn't it? It's a good place as opposed to a lot of the books we've written, and then re- read, about, where we're a bit like, oh, no, one doesn't overcome an And then he talks objection. about
2: price objections. If there's one universal struggle for salespeople, it's price objections. What do you reckon, Benjamin? I bet that's what you underlined, isn't it?
0: No, I underlined a bit of the, end, but I'll come. I'll come back to a point you just said. You know, salespeople work too hard trying to overcome objections. I mean, who owns any objection? Who does it belong to? The customer. So who's the best person to deal with it? The customer. Right. So rather than try and come up with all these fancy ways, just I mean, I had a a client recently say to me, Benjamin, could you work with thirty people? Because I know you like smaller groups. I said, you know, that's a really good question. I said, let me think about it. I said, no, you're right, I can't. It's over. I I, I can't do it. And then what did he do? Well, hold on, hold on. What what size group would you prefer? Uh, Well, you know, 10 to 12. Because we could do smooth
1: two groups, couldn't we? So he overcame the objection himself. He
0: overcame it himself. It's a
1: lot easier to get them to deal with it, because once I fixed it, they can't argue with it either, can they? No. And if you've done your discovery, there is an argument that says if you've done your discovery well enough, if you've discovered enough pain well enough and presented you solutions direct up. directly in relation to the pain, yeah. then the customer will probably find his way round some of the objections himself. Without doubt. But Or he'll ask you to help him overcome the objections. Yes,
2: but the salesperson's job often in the sales cycle is to deal with what comes their way. And what if that buying situation, what if that buyer's circumstances changed a little bit? Let's get it right. How many objections arose the day after Brexit? Millions. Quite a few, I thought. And how many salespeople closed business? Well, probably the ones that overcame the objection. All the ones that just didn't buy it in the first place because it was bollocks. Yeah, but the, yeah, bollocks. you see, you talk about that in a very sort of gung-ho manner, and I'm with you on that. But, you know, we've yeah. got to be realistic about the fact that that is not 99% of salespeople. No. And you can preach all you want and say that you're going to go and train people to do that. But I don't know how many people you've trained, but you can not You can't haven't, train bollocks. You, you haven't, you, yeah, exactly. No. And you haven't trained more than 1% of You know, uh, uh, more than 99%. And
1: if it's it's one thing I've learned, is. You can't change the man very much. No. So, so, something I've experienced, Benjamin, just talking about development of salespeople themselves, particularly in terms of courage, nuts, whatever vernacular we want to use, you'll only ever get, I think, plus or minus about 5% behavioral shift. No matter what you do. You know, we've had colleagues that we've recruited work for us. You can yeah. work at it, work at it, work at it, encourage them to be more courageous. If they've not got the courage to be good, you know, you're a naturally gutsy guy. You're not afraid to be rambunctious. Well, but fundamentally, a human being can only act in a manner consistent with their beliefs. Most
0: people have yes. beliefs about self. You can change a belief. It just takes a lot of work uh, and effort. It takes too Um, much
2: work. you would better in the sales. It takes
0: too much. Most people would rather quit or go back to doing it the way they were. So it's not that most salespeople can't change. It's they simply choose not to. And remember, most people aren't in sales out of choice. They're there by default. No one wanted this for their life. They needed a job, and they got
1: stuck. Yeah, there's a lot of them, default ones.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll
2: come back to that. Accidental sales, guys. So page 142, there are three common price objections customers typically toss out. One, it's too expensive. Two, we don't have budget. Three, we can't afford it. Next to we don't have budget, I put, I'm walking away, and I should have walked away ages ago. Shouldn't have been involved in the deal. And then he goes yeah, on to, he puts together, we can't, affo- we, we don't have budget and we can't afford it together. And he said, for a lot of people, however, it's not in the budget, it's code for, we don't have any money for this purchase at all. That's not a budget issue. That's an affordability issue. I mean, I get his point, but bloody hell, it'd be a lot easier to find somebody that had some budget.
1: Yes, but the point he's also making is, actually, there's a lot of deals out there, and it's the point Timothy O'Sullivan would make, is there's lots of deals out there where if you find enough latent pain, some deals will happen because the client will go, oh my God, we didn't realise we were in such well, a terrible, terrible difficulty. Thank you for coming to save us, Mr Salesman. I'm going to go back to the CEO and find a million quid I didn't have.
2: Yeah, but you're better off just find someone with some budget.
1: Cause, well, if you read the subtext, though, none of those have said I'm not going to buy, have they?
0: No, no they've they not. haven't. Well, have you no, they haven't. What? So, so you... just objections. So they're often designed so, to get the salesman to start negotiating or discounting or offering extras. They're, most of those are, well, so what are you telling me? And that's what I'd ask for any of those. What are you saying? So, are you telling me it's over? All oh, well, right.
1: All oh, right. Okay. Do I need to go home now then? Oh not to worry. Yeah. All right. Over? Yeah. Yes,
0: so, so page one four four then, he
2: gives this example of basically there's a house that's worth twenty five million pounds. Yeah. Somebody needs to buy it for four million pounds, basically. He said, That's the deal, right? He said, So whoever it is, Kate, hasn't got any money and he says, Come on, Kate, go and borrow some cash, because you could sell it the next day for, you know, more money and make money straight away. If I had a house that was worth $25 million that I wanted to sell for $4 million and Kate didn't have any money, I'd just go and find somebody with $4 million. Why am I going to send Kate to the bank to borrow money?
1: What's well, the a point? silly example. I'll yeah, so this. so we've got two different conversations going on here. Conversation one is the extent to which actually sometimes they are ju- just objections put into the sale as part of the point of the conversation. What Benjamin's saying is... The
0: manipulation is, of the... Prospect. Yeah, it's the, the, the prospect seller. it's the prospect manipulating
1: manipulating the sales guy because yeah. maybe he wants something, maybe he wants a discount, maybe he wants some other terms out of the deal. Then the other argument that I think you're talking about here, Michael, is that actually if you've got a salesman, which one's gonna make the most money? The sales guy that says I'm not going after a load of guys with latent pain hoping that at some point somebody finds some budget. Actually, I'm just going to go after 20 deals next year with customers that have got money to spend on projects that they've already recognised they're going to do.
2: Particularly given his quoted Glenn Gary Graham Ross in the book.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, who's that fellow that's... And, and, and I think there's an interesting debate between are you better off as a sales guy saying, well, actually, who's got real budget here to go after and do some projects and just working on true qualified bids... Finding those and going after them versus latent pain. In the same way there's the perennial argument in recruitment of are you better going after a candidate that's perhaps latent or one that's active in the market? I'm an active in the market guy. So you am know. I. So am I.
2: So anyway, so that was part two. What did you make of it, Benjamin?
1: Like I said, I, I, I didn't see anything
0: that I haven't heard before that I there's not a lot I disagree with in what he's saying, to be honest. Um, it's obvious that a good salesman identifies the root cause of the problem and gets them to tell them what it is and then can offer a solution uh, and he can handle with all these things. So um, the bit I highlighted on 145 was um, the, the, the second or well, the last paragraph pretty much. Uh, gap selling not only gives you the power to save people from making the mistake of not buying your product, it also gives you the power to save them from trying to buy it when they shouldn't. Now I have met many salespeople, and the idea that you shouldn't sell something to somebody, even if they believe they need it, goes so counter to their sense of "I want the money." That this is that's the most powerful bit, I think, in all of this. Salespeople need to realize you don't have to sell to everyone,
1: and they if they knew that they'd be a lot more successful. Absolutely. Sometimes, actually, the best customers are the ones where you say, "Do you know what? There maybe now's not the time." Yeah. Cool. I don't The ones where you add that little bit of value and that little bit of bit of consulting. So I go
2: back to part two. I think part two is 65% for me. And I'm, the whole problem I have with it, and I had the same problem with Tim Sullivan's book, and I said the same thing to him. And you don't like the King.
1: idea at all of latent buyers. I do though. not
2: like latent buyers. Nope. Help
1: like, me, what do you mean latent? What does that mean? I.e. a customer who hasn't thought of making a procurement, a customer who hasn't budgeted the procurement. Ah where I've walked in, eked out yeah. a problem, and yeah. then somehow instigated a project that they'd never theoretically ordinarily have considered at any point in time.
0: But how do you telephone, how would you prospect then? Because that's the whole point.
1: Yeah, how are you in the room in the first place? Yes,
0: I mean, yeah, you, 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 you gotta phone someone up and ask them, do you suffer from A, B or C? And if they <laughs> say no, am well, I ain't gonna come and see you? If they say yes, I'll come and see you. So everyone is business. latent not- by that.
2: That's well, you've made yourself a really convenient example there, actually. Why? Because the Why? next question is, do you suffer from X, Y, Z? Yes. Yeah. Have you thought about fixing it? No. Right, I'm not coming. Have you thought about fixing it? Yes. Right, I'm going to come and see you.
1: Or uh, would you consider... F- well, there's degrees, isn't there?
0: Yeah. But were they thinking of it
1: until you called?
0: And the answer is probably no.
2: Well, I'm not going so then. So it vacant. Well, I'm not it's going perfect. then. I'm going to go and find somebody who is thinking about fixing it. You know, sales training, I mean, let's get it right. I've never sold sales training, so I'm going to give an example that is convenient to myself at this point. Go for it. You know, there's no doubt about that. But I guarantee, I 100% guarantee that yeah. if you phone any MD of yeah. any business who's yeah. got five or more salespeople, some of those salespeople will be behind target.
0: Without doubt.
2: They all have Almost certainly, pace. yeah. So Almost, why don't you get certainly. an appointment
0: with every single one you phone? Because, as you say, some people don't feel it. It's not a big enough problem to fix. And it, because it's not a big
2: enough problem to fix, what haven't they put aside for it? Money. Well, uh, budget. So that's why you don't go and see them. Well, Actually, if we maybe. just followed your, th- your, th- your process of yeah. well, they have all got light and pain, you'd go and see everyone you phoned.
0: If they said yes, I would, because at the end of the day, as pointed out in the book that you've said, someone who's in enough pain will find a way to fix it. Yes, and that's That's the That's the job of a salesman, is I don't create pain. I simply find it. I'm like a doctor. Yeah. And when you come to me, I start and question, well, I haven't thought of that. No, I've not done that. Well, I do have that. I take some x-rays and say, good grief. Looks a lot worse than what we originally thought.
1: So it's an interesting debate because it's about – and and it's a perennial debate, because it's a little bit about getting the customers to go, Christ, I didn't realise quite how bad that was. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Problems right. are often bigger than what prospects think, because they typically only bring symptoms. Our job is to actually dig deeper and say, this is the root cause.
1: Right, cool. Well, I think we should wrap up here, fellas. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, listen,
2: Benjamin. You he's have been, been a, a decent, okay guest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the stroke. I'm a salesman, so he's, I'm been, passable. he's yeah, been passable. Yeah, absolutely.
2: No, you've he, been great. I've really enjoyed your company.
1: Yes, oh, and well, we I love the stuff it. you put out on LinkedIn. Actually, thank you. Yeah, it's I'm always just an angry guy who likes to rant. Love it. Well, the, you know, <laughs> ranters of the world, unite! I'm out filming a rant on Wednesday. out so. after
2: the titles. Yeah, stay let- online after the titles yeah, yeah Okay.
1: Hang, hang around don't leave us after hang the around. titles but I think all it's right. time to wrap up so listeners next week part 3 of Gap Selling Gap prospecting oh good
2: Ooh. I like prospecting
1: yes well I've just read a book on oh, prospecting do we all no yeah. I do though no me too um, so we'll talk about it next week and then the week after Keenan's on the show oh. awesome
0: looking thank forward to it thank you. Nice to you great Madrid. to see you Benjamin thank you for having me